Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by listeners and by Lee Auto Malls, featuring all electric vehicles from Nissan and Toyota in stock now. Learn more at leeauto.com electric. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Maine Public's chief political correspondent, Steve Missler, alongside politics reporter Kevin Miller. This week, we're going to take a run through the latest at the State House as the legislature heads into what I think is the final month of the first session. We'll see about that. But first, let's check in on the status of the $1 billion transmission project known as the New England Clean Energy Connect, a topic that's taken a lot of twists and turns, Kevin, but maybe inching toward fruition after bruising and costly battles at the ballot box and in the courtroom. Yeah, that's right, Steve. So the big news this week is that the Maine Department of Environmental Protection said that construction on the corridor can resume. Uh, the project has been on hold since the fall of 2021. Uh, that was when, back when voters approved a referendum blocking it. The developers of the of the corridor, and that's uh, Central Maine Power's parent company, Avangrid and Hydro-Quebec, they've been fighting ever since to, to overturn this referendum. And they finally got that big victory last month when a jury agreed that the company had already completed enough of the corridor to basically give them the vested right to finish the project. So it took about a month, but the main DEP, as expected, finally gave the developers the green light to go back and resume construction on it. Yeah, and it's not entirely clear when construction will resume, right? I mean, and that's because when the DEP halted construction after the referendum three years ago almost... All these work crews that were brought in, some really highly specialized, sort of scattered uh, you know, to other projects around the country. So it's going to take some time to reassemble them. Right. And, and the opponents of the project, and, and there are many of them, especially among Maine's environmental community, they're also not done fighting this yet, they say. They failed at the state level, but now they're focusing on challenging the federal permits that the project has already received from the Army Corps of Engineers and the U.S. Department of Energy. That's right. And opponents are also trying to reignite a debate about the project's electricity supplier, Hydro-Quebec, which you mentioned. Uh, now there's been a lot of discussion about the climate benefits of the transmission line. And a lot of that has to do with Hydro-Quebec, which has been getting in the export business because it's long touted its massive surplus of renewable hydropower. But opponents of the corridor have long questioned whether the government-owned uh, generator actually has the surplus that it claims it does. Yeah. And uh, opponents have actually, they pushed unsuccessfully in the legislature several years ago to require the state to complete a comprehensive study of the project's environmental footprint, both positive and negative. Because uh, like you said, they don't believe this would be quite the game changer that the supporters say it's going to be when it comes to helping New England meet the region's climate goals. But they never could get that bill through the legislature and by the governor. But now a group of legislators sent a letter to Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey, and they're asking her to take a closer look at whether Hydro-Quebec actually can supply all of this clean, cheap energy that it says it can. And they want Governor Healey to basically go back and scrap the whole deal. Yeah, and, and quarter opponents are resurfing this issue because of recent reports in Canada about Hydro-Quebec, how it's basically eyeing the construction of new mega dams which is how it's got all this power to begin with. They're actually trying to build three or four more of them or proposing to do so. And that's to meet the demands that are accumulating quite quickly, both because of exports to the US and because Quebec itself is anticipating a surge in demand 
amidst a widespread push for electrification of transportation and infrastructure within the province. So, you know, in fact, there was one point this winter when Quebec's demands were so high during a brutal cold snap that it was actually importing electricity from the U.S. Granted, it was only for a few hours, but that's really given corridor opponents some grist to say, hey, this company has been overstating its generation capacity. Maybe it's time to reevaluate whether this project is all that it claims to be. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that prospect of Quebec having to buy electricity from New England, I mean, that runs totally counter to what to the arguments that the project developers have been making for years now that there is so much clean energy they've been having to basically give it away or it's gone to waste. I don't know. So what's your sense, Steve? Uh, do you think that Governor Healy and Massachusetts are actually going to reopen this kind of box of worms? Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical, to be honest. I mean, first, I should mention that Hydro-Quebec is sharply disputing these questions about its generation capacity, it, its ability to meet the needs of the corridor project, and its role as a transnational partner on energy and climate issues. That said, you know these questions are beginning to accumulate. There's been some reporting in Forbes about the issue and focusing on whether Hydro-Quebec oversold its energy surplus to get into U.S. markets. But Will this lead to the derailment of the corridor project? I mean, that's really the question. And and as it stands, I'm skeptical because there's so much riding on it politically and financially. Uh, The political piece is especially acute in Massachusetts, which is paying for the corridor and is counting on it to meet its aggressive uh, renewable energy targets. I mean, Governor Healy campaigned on exceeding those targets by 2030. And even though she was skeptical of the project as attorney general, it's more of a sure thing than some of these prospective offshore wind development, uh, which may not even come online for a while. So I guess we'll have to see. Right. All right. Let's uh, switch back to the legislature where there's a lot of big issues still unresolved, Kevin. Uh, let's start with paid family and medical leave. There's been a lot of talk about this bill, but this week some details were finally announced. And next week there will be a public hearing on it. Yeah, there's been a lot of anticipation about this. Uh, some of it eager, and I'd say some of it more like apprehension. But there's finally going to be a public hearing next Thursday, as you said, on this paid family medical leave. So what we're talking about here is a state policy that would allow workers to take up to 12 weeks off of paid time. And that that paid part is, is key here because a lot of workers can already take unpaid leave. But this would allow paid time off to take care of a family member who's sick or even if you want to spend more time with a, a newborn. And this would be paid out of a special insurance fund that both workers and employers would pay into. And this would essentially be a wage tax of up to 1% that would come directly out of people's paychecks or in the employers would, would match that amount. This is this is a major priority for progressive groups and has been for some time. And, and interestingly, they've actually already started gathering signatures for a referendum campaign in case this doesn't get through the legislature. So they're kind of holding that over the legislature's head This is by no means guaranteed that it will get through the legislature because some of the big business groups like the Maine State Chamber of Commerce, they're pretty leery of this because they look at it as another cost or or another tax. And another key piece of this that I don't think is really giving the business community, it's not reassuring them in, in any way, but apparently this bill that was released does exempt some smaller businesses, right? Right. Businesses that have 15 or fewer employees would be exempt from contributing to it. The workers would still be able to access the fund. But it looks like at this point, we're not hearing a lot of support coming from at least the big business groups. Um, So that will certainly play into how legislators view this. 
Also, we've, and we've talked about this before, the Governor Janet Mills is sort of looming large over these negotiations. I think she's expressed in, in public statements that you know she's um, aware and sensitive to the concerns of the business community. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her office uh, get involved in some uh, negotiations over this thing. Right. And she actually got, got involved in negotiations and came up with her own bill on paid sick leave several years ago. That was an issue that had been debated by the legislature. And then Governor, Mill, Governor Mills came in with their own proposal and that ended up passing. It's funny you mentioned that because I remember the business community was um, in the main state chamber of commerce in particular was effusive in its praise for the governor intervening in there. But I don't think the progressive groups uh, viewed her <laughs> viewed her intervention quite the same way. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. There, there's also the matter of the so-called part two budget, which was proposed by Governor Mills recently, but seems to be getting pinched by demands from Republicans and fellow Democrats, or at least one um, House Speaker, Rachel Talbot Ross. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so indeed. So on the Republican side, they've been talking about using some of the surplus money to offer income tax cuts to lower middle-income Mainers for uh, for six or seven months now at least. And Governor Mills did not include any income tax cuts in her, her proposed budget. Democratic leaders seem okay with that because they say there are just so many other pressing needs out there that that need funding. But Republicans plan on putting out Next week, what they say will be a detailed proposal on income tax cuts that will, again, target the lower and and middle income uh, sectors. And they say they're willing to negotiate with Mills and with Democrats. But the reality is that the Democrats have the numbers to pass a budget without Republican support, so they don't need to negotiate if they don't want to. The other pinch that you mentioned is, like you said, coming from House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross. And this is interesting because apparently a top staffer for the House Speaker told uh, his counterpart over in the governor's office that the Speaker may not support the governor's budget proposals unless Governor Mills supports several bills that are being sought by Maine's Indian tribes. House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross is a, is a very vocal proponent for tribal sovereignty and other issues. But this did not go over well at all with the governor's office, who looked at it as a quid quo pro. And the dust up got a lot of attention in the past week. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think these kind of discussions happen with some frequency. We just don't hear about them. And part of what made this story so interesting is that it it was a behind the scenes situation that came into public view. And because of that, you have to wonder whether the House Speaker will continue to push this ultimatum, because I don't think that conversation was meant to be public. But now that it is, it kind of puts her at risk of holding up spending on issues that Democrats say they care about like housing. I mean, there's a lot of um a lot of uh, talk in the legislature about, you know, do, doing something to um, address the housing crisis and the governor's spending plan has a particular focus on that. Yeah, that's right. There's quite a bit of money in there for affordable housing uh, programs and for programs for the homeless, uh, which would probably benefit some of the towns that are seeing an influx of asylum seekers. There's also money in there for child care subsidies and uh, substance use disorder treatment. There's child welfare programs additional school construction. So there are a lot of what are top priorities for Democrats and, and Republicans uh, that are in the governor's budget. Maybe it's not the right, the exact dollar figures that those uh, Democrats would like to see. But so to your point, it, it's, it's, I guess the question is how hard is Speaker Talbot Ross willing to push her stance on this, given the other um, Democratic parties that are in the budget? Well, and then we have a lot of other issues just hanging out there as the days wind down before the before what was supposed to be the end of the legislative session in mid-June, but 
because the Democrats budget maneuver in March, we don't really have statutory adjournment right now. We're in a special session, which means that legislature could go all summer, a prospect that will not be embraced by many in the state house because that would coincide with increased pay for legislators. And, and uh, you know, that also means that a lot of people who are in the state house uh, on a daily basis, lobbyists, et cetera, staffers, they would not get the summer that they may have hoped for, but right. let's assume that they won't do that and actually finish in June. Uh, if they do, June will be a very busy month because there's a lot of big ticket bills and issues that are not resolved yet. Right. And probably the biggest uh, that's hanging out there right now is this abortion issue, that which we which we talked about. There's a bill that would uh, lift the restrictions on abortions uh, later in a pregnancy that Governor Mills and, and House Speaker and Democrats have been pushing. That had a record long public hearing a few weeks ago, but it has not had a work session. So that's still out there. There's a whole slew of gun control bills that are out there. There's, of course, the budget. Uh, there's the affordable housing issues that a special housing com uh, committee is taking up. And then there are a number of tribal uh, bills that are important to Maine's tribes. It looks like the sovereignty issue is probably going to get pushed off to next year, but there are still a number of other bills that the tribes would like to see get through. So the question is, how many of those can get through? Because these are pretty contentious and, and oftentimes difficult negotiations to have. Okay, that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. Uh, before we sign off, a quick programming note about next week. The Pulse will once again join Maine Calling for its Month in Review program next Friday, which begins at 11 o'clock and ends at noon. Also, a reminder that you can subscribe to The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter at mainepublic.org slash pulse. I'm Steve Missler. He's Kevin Miller. And we'll talk to you again next week on Maine's Political Pulse. <laughs>